0: today's podcast is brought to you by vivo barefoot you guys know i rock my vivos whenever i'm not running and i'm pleased to announce that they just released their brand new revolutionary shoe the modus strength which is the first ever zero drop barefoot strength training shoe it's made for moving naturally during high impact workouts with added protection and stability that doesn't sacrifice the barefoot feel and benefits it is breathable lightweight and comfortable and i use the modus for every strength session in the gym I used to wear old running shoes that were beaten down while going to the gym, and to say the modus has been a massive upgrade would be an understatement. The whole point of going to the gym for me is to strengthen my inefficiencies, and that is exactly what vivos do when it comes to your feet and lower body. My feet personally have never felt stronger, and using the modus strength for these gym sessions has been a big game changer for me. You guys can use code THERUNNINGEFFECT15 to get 15% off of your purchase of the Modus Strength or any of Vivo Barefoot's wide selection of shoes. You guys can scroll down in the show notes or go directly to VivoBarefoot.com. Again, that is code THERUNNINGEFFECT15 to get 15% off of your purchase. And also feel free to shoot me a DM or email. If you have any questions in regards to the Modus Strength or any of Vivo Barefoot's shoes, I absolutely love Vivo Barefoot. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to work with them. They have been a game changer for me in terms of strengthening my feet. And I hope you guys will check them out and their products out because I do believe that your running and life can be impacted by using their products. Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Running Effect podcast. I'm your host, Dominic Schleder. I have two asks of you today before we get into the podcast. One, I would greatly appreciate it if you give us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. The majority of you guys right now have not done those two things, and it legitimately takes between five and 10 seconds to hit those two buttons. Then my second ask is consider sharing today's podcast or any of the podcasts that you found value from in the past with a friend, a family member, someone who you think would find value. Value and benefit from it. Today on the podcast is the one and only Parker Stinson. He's someone who I've looked up to for a while. Someone who has such a successful career from his years in high school all the way up to present day. In high school, he was a multi-time um, U.S. U-20 champion, if I'm not mistaken. He also won the Pan Am Games. Uh, he did so many incredible things in high school. He then went on to the University of Oregon, where I want to say he placed third at the NCAA championships three separate times and he was on a team with some absolute studs in the peak of Oregon. And then as a professional with Saucony, uh, he's been crushing it on the roads. I would say the pinnacle so far is he set the American record in the 25K. Needless to say, Parker has a fantastic story. Today's conversation was incredibly entertaining just because Parker's, you know, full story is super entertaining, as well as deep and influential to me. Uh, Parker shares a lot of raw stories from his career, the ups and the downs and everything in between, and I personally found a lot of value from it. I hope you guys find value from it. I'm confident you will. So enough of my rambling. I hope you all enjoy the story and my conversation with the man, the myth, the legend, Parker Stinson. Parker Stinson, a pleasure to say these words. Welcome to the Running Effect podcast. How are you doing this afternoon?
1: I'm good. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. We, uh, we just talked so long before this interview, a podcast before a podcast. So I'm fired up. This is going to be a good one. Um, You know, you're pretty big time and you're asking these thoughtful questions. So I'm excited to see uh, the roads you take me down with these questions and enjoy it.
0: Let's do it. Let's go down the roads. First road for you to cross is I was telling you about this before we got started. First thing you hop on this recording, I started telling you this, and you said, wait, 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 wait. keep this for the podcast. I want to share this with you now. As our listeners know, uh, you know, I started running at the age of five and then middle school came around and I was like, I'm already doing the sport. How do I get really, really good at it? So for me, the rabbit hole I went down is, you know, consuming all the YouTube videos and all the running books, et cetera, et cetera. And you were one of those runners, you know really all your career, it seems like, at least as long as I've been following you, that you've been very open about documenting and storytelling around your journey. The Trackster series that you did, like all sorts of different things. The amount of Parker Stinson podcasts I've listened to over the years is is numerous. So I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for the inspiration that you gave me at such a young age, because I would get so fired up watching some of these videos and watching you rip certain workouts. And I think an attribute that you're known for is just being really, really gritty when it counts and when it matters. And even if the result isn't what you want it to be, you're always gonna be a guy that when people turn on the TV, they know that you're gonna give it your all. So being able to see that and learning those lessons at such a young age you were always one of those guys who I looked up to. So years later, to have a conversation with you, this is completely full circle, and 6th, 7th, 8th grade Dominic would probably be losing it right now. So I just want to thank you for the inspiration you provided, specifically in a sport where most people are closed off and they don't want to share the ups and downs of their journey. And you were very open to sharing them. And to me, that was a big thing for me back in the day. So it's uh, very full circle to be with you here today.
1: Oh, man, that's amazing. I'm glad you saved that to talk about... um you know, you'll, you'll get there, but you know, I'm, I'm going to be 32 soon. And so to hear something like that, um, that means so much. And, you know, we were, we actually were talking off the podcast too, about some struggles I went through and we'll get into that. But, you know, at this point in my career, you know, it's really hard to PR. You're trying to be better than ever. And so to hear you say that, um, Dominic, that means so much, you know, I've been running for 20 years and it sounds like you're going to be a 20 year plus runner too. (laughs) Um, to hear that you've positively affected somebody, um when I was younger I'd be like, Oh that's cool, whatever, but I'm I'm like, no, I gotta I wanna race, I wanna rent a race, I wanna set a record, I wanna run a time. And now to hear that, you know, I'm really grateful because that's um that's more important than a PR right there.
0: Right. And when you hang up the road racing shoes, I think ninety nine percent of your your friends, family, fans will probably forget the exact PR of the distances <laughs> that you had but they won't forget the impact you made on them. Right. It's like the, you know, the saying, you know, people will forget the, the words you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel or whatever the, the saying is. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing, at least in my opinion, for you, whenever you hang up the road racing shoes, it's like, you know, that kid on the side of the road that watched you while you were ripping the 25k record, he'll forget about the time, but he'll never forget how he felt watching it go down. And I mean, that's just one example of, you know, the impact you leave, in my opinion, is way more important than what you did on the road.
1: Well, thank you so much. Yeah, that means more to me than than you think. So, um, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: Going into to part of that, one of the things I said, and I do stand by and think it's true, is that, you know, you've always been open about sharing the highs and lows of the journey, uh, specifically some of the lows that have gone on within your own career, whether it's in podcasts or different videos or whatnot. Where do you think that comes from? Because as I said earlier, I think a lot of runners are closed off to the notion of being open and they only want to post the highlight reels. So for you, where do you think it comes from to be more open to discuss some of the lower moments of your career and journey?
1: Yeah, I've never thought about that. Um you know, because when it started, it's funny. Um I think because of runners like myself and then a lot of other really, really amazing runners that have done this, I think a lot of people now do that, you know, like that's like like, oh, I got to be marketable or I like got to like, get fans, so I'm going to be open with my journey. But when I was doing that, I, I didn't, I just didn't make, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done it if I knew that would like make you more marketable. So I wasn't thinking about it like that. I don't, I don't know why I did that. Um, you know, this is a weird story. When I was in high school and I was getting recruited by colleges, this coach told me when I was 16 years old, he said, You're a really polarizing figure. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, people are either going to love you or hate you. And I was like, now looking back, I'm like, I can't believe someone told a 16-year-old that, you know? And then it's like, you know, you Let's Run becomes a thing. And it's like, everyone hates everyone on there. And it's just like, he was right. And it's like, I've I've always been in the news. And it's like, there's been people like you that, that appreciate it and are a fan. And, and it means so much to you. But at the same token, it's just like, there's just some people that that just really are not, not interested and not fans of me. And so I think being polarizing, I kind of made headlines and my story was kind of out there um, for, it was just kind of interesting to people. And then what I found out a few years ago is I'm actually bipolar and I'm on medication now. And I think what happened naturally is I feel the same emotions that everyone feels, but I have a larger, a larger range. So when I'm happy, I'm probably happier than maybe, that, you, that you're used to. And when I'm low, I'm very low. And so I think I, I couldn't handle that at the time and I didn't know what was going on. And so I had so much emotion about results and people and things that I think um, I just naturally had uh, things were just being shared out there. And then people come along, you know, and then people come along and say, hey, we want to do a thing on you. We want to do a series. And I've always been talkative and um, outgoing. And uh, I was a philosophy major, so I'm just a thoughtful person. But it was all natural, you know? I, I, uh, I think that's why it worked. Um, I think, you know, nowadays, like I said, a lot of people try to do that, which is great, but it's kind of watered down now. And it's like, people are more like, kind of like, dude, you're sharing too much, you know? And so I don't know why it worked, um, but so, I've been running 20 years and ever since I was a little kid, my performances always mattered more than they should have. Like I was very good, but there were people that deserved the attention more than me. But for some reason, I was always getting the spotlight and I don't know why. Um, And like I said, I'll be the first one to say like I don't I don't I I didn't deserve it all the time, but it was just always there. You know, there's a lot of people that were more deserving. So, yeah, I think I was just forced to share what was going on with me.
0: Speaking of that spotlight in high school, I think to this day, you're the only person to win the 10K at the U.S. Junior Championships three times in a row or three times in total might be wrong on that stat there. And then you also placed sixth at the IAAF Junior World Championships and won a Pan Am Junior title. How do you think that spotlight affected the 32 year old I'm here sitting with?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was great. I, I loved it. Um, it got to the point where once you're pretty good, it was hard to perform at low key events, you needed that spotlight or else you didn't want it, you couldn't dig. And so that was a really cool time in my career. Um, I just popped off uh, for like three months and it, it changed my life um, because I was a junior in high school and I was just about to get recruited and it was the Texas state meet. And it was Reed Connor who won NXN that year. He won the whole damn, he won at all. He won full NXN whatever. And he was in Texas. And um I was a junior and he was a senior. Everybody wanted him. And uh I lost to that guy probably seventeen times and there's a great video. I'm getting dropped with one twenty to go. I'm done. I'm out of the race. And there's another guy. So like, oh who's gonna win? James Webb, Bree Connor, James Webb, Reconner, And then they go, Oh my God, Stinson's on the outside. Stinson's gonna win. He's gonna do it. And I pass him, I win by half a second, almost beat the state meet record. It's a race to this day that te- Texans watch because three guys ran so we only have eight guys at our state meet it's very um exclusive and three guys were right there so fast forward i went to usa's and it was at university of oregon and i'm 17 years old i'm running against freshmen at wisconsin i'm running against syracuse everybody if you're you're a freshman in college you put in a whole year i'm 17 years old never run a 10k or 5k on the track in my life and i'm sitting in there and it's pretty slow and I take off halfway because I'm like, this is like a fucking waste of my time, dude. I'm like bored. So I was very cocky <laughs> back then. Um, I've been very humbled now. But uh, so I go and the announcer's like, oh, huge mistake. This guy's been running 3,200. This He doesn't <laughs> understand. I break everybody with one move. I tempo the whole rest of the race in and win my first national title. And then I did win three in a row. And what was amazing, what I was getting at, I beat the best, seen, seen, I beat the best guy in the country as a junior. And then I won USA's as a junior at Oregon. And I, you know, I basically, it depends who, what people thought of me, but I was basically the top recruit in the country and it changed my life. And then what was funny is I signed with Oregon and I ran, I went to go on and run horrible, my whole senior year, uh, I lost state, everything like that. Um, but I did in August run incredible at the world juniors. Like you said, I got sixth place highest finish ever for an American, um, ran 29, 30 in high school when people were running a bit, quite a bit slower then. And so that saved my year. That was my swan song. That saved my year. But I took till August to get there. Um, so yeah, I mean, no, it set me up. It put a lot of pressure at Oregon. Um, and they, yeah, those guys were pretty, uh, tough on me my first year. I love those guys. I'm friends with them, but it was a lot of hazing going on when you came in like that. So
0: do you ever get emotional thinking back to those high school years, those different experiences, the, elation of winning a u.s title a junior u.s title the elation of placing sixth in the world like do you ever get emotional thinking back to the quote-unquote glory days not that you haven't done things within your professional career which we'll get to but i feel like the four years in high school you're developing at such a rapid rate and when you're as good as you are do you ever reflect back to those experiences and think man i'd do anything to relive these days
1: yeah this will be a good thing to talk about this will be interesting i uh No, not at all. Um, I was very—I mean, I was—I was very into running young. I was a bit—I was really intense. But what happened is, I grew up in San Diego for like twelve years, and I loved it. I I had—I was—I had so many friends. I was popular. I I was good at running. I was like a varsity athlete my freshman year because of cross country, and it was amazing. And yeah, we even had three thousand kids at our school when I was the homecoming sophomore prince. So I mean, it was the place to be. And my parents moved me in the middle of my sophomore year in January. So middle of the year, middle of the year to Austin, Texas. And I guess, I don't think I would say I hated them for it, but it was very traumatic. And because of that, I got so intense with running in Texas. I literally told myself as a 15 year old, this is like how my brain worked. I'm gonna focus on training my ass off. I don't care if I make any friends, have fun or anything. This is just a means to an end to me. I want to invest in something that nobody can take away from me because my, my parents took away all my friends and whatever. And I was like, I'm investing in something that no one can take away from me. And that was my mindset as a 15 year old kid. So I didn't enjoy it. You know, I didn't enjoy it. I, uh, I trained really hard. I mean, yeah, having success was cool, but a lot of my career, because I was so good at 10, I almost won nationals when I was 10 and 11. My whole career has just been, this guy's good, but he'll never be good in high school. He'll never be good at the university of Oregon. He sucks. No way he can go pro. Oh, he's not worth a pro contract. Breaking American record run two ten. He's still not worth a pro contract. It's like, it's exhausting. And so you can't like, it's really hard to enjoy it and it's taken me a long time to enjoy it. And I think um, I got Achilles surgery and I missed six months and I got knee surgery. I missed eight months and those things were, they were blessings. You know, I invested in my family, my friends more and I let running go. And so, yeah, man, I love running now. I enjoy it. Um, So these are, you know what? These are the glory years for me. I would say 2019 was probably my glory year, but I'm having good races and uh, I'm on a great team. I'm enjoying it. So, but yeah, I was a psycho dude in most of my career. I didn't care what it took to be good.
0: If you could go back and have a conversation with 15-year-old Parker when he was moving from San Diego to Austin, Texas, furious at his parents, mad at life, ready to go all in on the sport. You take him out out to coffee, you know, 20 years later, almost 20 years later, what would be the conversation? What would be some things you'd say to him?
1: Um, I would just say, I would keep it pretty short, if you can believe it with this conversation. Uh, I would probably just say, I'm sorry. And I, you know, I know you guys always did the best you could. And that's true. You know, they, they, like I'm, I'm old enough now. And, um, you know, you think about kids and stuff and like, it's just like, it's hard, man. Super hard. I mean, I, I, I don't need, I don't, I don't know if I want kids and I don't know when I'll have them. And it's like, I know people that are 25 that have kids and it's just like, it, it's I uh, I can't imagine, you know, trying to take care of yourself and also um, take care of your kids and do right by them. So, you know, my parent, my dad's amazing. My mom's amazing. My dad, uh, my dad coached me as a kid and was like an overwhelming parent as a kid for that. And as soon as I went to high school, he never was overwhelming ever again. He just let me go and supported me. Um, so he's really special. Um, so yeah, I would just, I know they did their best. Like we have a great relationship now. It's not that big of a deal. It just like kind of made part of my whole, my heart kind of cold there for a few years. You know, I just like a mercenary. I was like, nah, man, I'm running and you know, nothing, my whole, my whole career, nothing was ever given to me really. And so I just kind of dove into that mindset of like. It's no one's going to help me do like no one can save me. Like I have to get this done.
0: I'm sure it's something you hear quite a bit, you know, as you kind of reference multiple times in this conversation, you're constantly getting hate from the outside world, and quite frankly, anyone who's trying to achieve something of significance haters are going to come along. I'm sure something you've heard is, you know, Parker's just talented. That's that's how he ran an American record. That's how he won three U.S. titles in high school. For you, I, I kind of realized, you know, I knew that wasn't the case after watching enough videos and listening to enough podcasts. But something that stuck out to me was that mindset as a 15-year-old, you know, at such a young age that you were going to work so hard at something to be at the point where no one could ever take it from you. And there's a saying that I absolutely love. I actually think it's from LeBron James where he says, you know, nothing is given, everything is earned. And I think, you know, that encapsulates it perfectly. So can you take me back to those years in high school where you worked your butt off to achieve some of the things you did and ultimately set yourself up on the trajectory that you're on today?
1: Yeah. You know, I have been, I look back to, I've been so lucky, you know, I've had amazing, I've just had amazing coaches. My dad, the coaches that were on the track teams back then were just so, you know, they were Navy seals actually in San Diego and they were, they were tough, but they were so loving too. Um, I learned so much and then I went to high squad an amazing coach in San Diego named Terry Dockery. Um, and then I had a really, really good, um, coach in Texas. He was way too intense and our team was insane. We, what happened is in Texas football is so important that we, they, they get all this time off in the morning to train, not go to school, but, like just like in the NCAA, they have to give that to all varsity sports. So in Texas, um, I wouldn't start school until ten forty-five. Academically, we would go there. You you work out. You um, they had breakfast for you. You could do your homework, shower, whatever. It was crazy, and because of that, you could do doubles very easily. So I would do doubles in high school, and then in college I had I, in college I had great coaches. Afterwards I had great coaches. But what I was what I was kind of getting at is it is amazing that I'm still running at thirty-two because. I pushed myself as hard as I could at every level. And I understand that was a lot of my criticism, you know, like they're like, well, there's just no way. So when I was in high school, the craziest thing I was doing, um, and I didn't even know I was going to run a 10 K on the track, but I would do this at one, I'd either do this every other week or every week I would run five to seven miles all out tempos on the track and like legit, dude, I would run 4:55 or like five Oh five in, in Texas. And I mean, it was not always hot, but in Texas, like just by myself, I would get out really hard the first 800 settle in and then make sure I change gears. And, you know, I was like, I got to put, I got to like, if I want to beat people, I better change gears the last 800. And like I was doing that over and over again. I'd run everything at 5:30 pace, 5:45 pace. My coach sent me out um, with the UT, the UT college guys once I got older to do like 18 mile long runs and they hated me. They thought I was such a little dickhead. Um, and they'd always try to drop me and they could never do it, you know? And so it is amazing that I'm still here. I, I don't know how I could have trained harder at every level. And then somehow i continue to get better. And I, I wish I could tell people how I did that. And like you said, maybe it's talent. I don't know, but there's so many talented people that they don't last in the sport. And that's not bad. It, it you know, it, that's a constant question people wonder. It's like, would you rather you know, be really, really good, but never be an Olympian or make a team, you know, you're getting, you're making a good, you're making good money. People respect you. You're like fifth at the trials. You win some road races. You're great. You're great. You know, or would you rather for two and a half years, you know, or even me, 2019, I broke a record, ran 210. I was, I was on TV at Chicago on the front line, Galen Rupp, Mo Farah, uh, two guys that won it. And me, there's only five people through the university of Oregon. duck. Like, would you rather have a one year like that? Or would you rather have six years of being solid, you know? And so there's nothing wrong with not having a long career. um, But I don't know. I don't really know how uh, I've done it because I've trained so hard at every level. So I'm not really sure how it's worked out.
0: There's a saying that came to mind when you were speaking there on talent, you know, hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. And I think it's true. Like you've beat all the really talented guys due to your hard work and, you know, any talent you have. I really think talent is an excuse for the people that didn't make it. And I do think you need to be talented to win. Like Jakob Ingebrigtsen is naturally very, very talented. Oh, for sure. But I do think that hard work will take you very, very far. I'm not sure maybe to the professional level, I think you need a little bit of talent. But I think uh, it's very hard to to make it on talent alone. Would you agree well, or no?
1: Well, there's a lot of things. I, it's funny, we actually talked about this on return, I would agree with a lot of that. It, but the thing is, too, that we, you know, people forget, like, so I'm a I call myself like a national class athlete, you know, I'm a 210 guy. I would like to be a, a world-class athlete and I have moments where I get close, but I, I'm not consistently there. And so what I was going to bring up is like, you're in a town like Boulder and you know you run 210 and you're like, oh, you're the man, you're talented, whatever. And somebody runs 214 and you're like, eh, you kind of suck. And it's like, what you have to remember is like anyone that you're talking to in the running community, probably if you're in Boulder is a 1% percenter, anyways, even if they can only run, even if, even if they can only run 215, they're so talented. And so I think we're just like especially at the University of Oregon it's like everybody's a state champ. I mean it's just unreal. And so yeah, it's it's interesting. Um the one thing I would say, yeah, the talent, I think talent they have a, this is the problem with what people say about talented. I think they look at talent as potential instead of and I think they're different. So to me when someone they go that person is so talented. It usually seems like when they say that it's that they haven't really Got it done to me. They haven't made their career yet because they're just like they're surprised. They're kind of like, whoa, that guy's only run twenty eight forty five, but he's doing workouts to say he can run twenty seven thirty. You go, that guy's talented. But then the guy that's run twenty seven thirty, you're just like, I don't know. It's weird. I, it seems more like people that haven't tapped into their full potential yet. You use the word talent too, and then the people that have accomplished something, no one says they're talented. Really, they're just like that's that's who they are i think talent is used for the question mark that they don't know how good somebody is so they throw that word out there but first of all we're all super talented um but yeah i don't like that word i think it's disrespectful to like people that that do work hard and then they try to and then they try to like say that oh you worked so hard this person actually if they worked as hard as you would be better than you and like what what is that like who cares
0: they like, don't work as what? hard as me.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, or in like it's a dude scoreboard. Like what? Like who cares? Like that's not how sports work. Like that's cool, dude. Your talent. Like you never lived up to your potential. Like have fun with that. Right. So I actually get fired. I get fired up about that because I have worked so hard. But.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also, to me, in Parker, like I'm not saying this is uh, physiologically the best way to train how you did in high school, but anyone yeah. can listen to that and hear. Oh my gosh! I am so glad that my high school coach didn't make me go through that or I am so glad I did not attempt to do that. And immediately there's a level of respect for the thousands of people who will listen to this. I think 99.9% of them, you know, the 0.001 of let's run people might not respect it. But like I completely have the utmost respect of like, this guy has achieved things in the sport more than I ever will because he was willing to do things in training that I never was. And I think that's the case for most people. And I think, you know, there are some people that make it through on, very, very little training, and some people write it off as talent, but they're working hard in their own way. And I just think at the end of the day, you have to to give people the praise they deserve. If you run two ten, and, and that was a good performance for you, you know, give that person kudos. If someone's, you know, peak for me, like I'm never going to run two ten. Your two ten might be my two thirty. So if I run two thirty, I'm going to yeah. be over the moon. And I think if you're an outsider, like just be a kind individual who uplifts other people and don't discredit years of hard work because of quote-unquote talent like everyone's working hard in the sport and because of that people should be praised for their hard work
1: yeah i love that um you know it reminds me of that when we were at the university of oregon we had like literally the dream team i mean we we tied an ncaa record indoors for the most points ever scored with a thrower who got us four points and then all distance runners got seventy. <laughs> we got seventy four points my gosh. with all distance runners. You'll never. But my point of this is, what people forget is insecurity. So when someone when I run two ten breaking American record, a random American record that no one runs, whatever, people are insecure. So they say, they say these, these negative things. But what I found, I and I was the same way, right? You know, I'm like I'm training at the University of Oregon, and they Eric Jenkins transfers in. I was the second fastest American in the country. I ran thirteen thirty eric jenkins ran thirteen eighteen, and they transferred it in and made him be my roommate and i was like what that's the university of oregon it's like well you're not getting it done we're going to find somebody who can but my point of all this was when i was training we had so many good guys and I, my goal is to win in is my goal is to get top three my goal is to whatever and i'm like how can i be top three in the country if i can't even like beat all these guys in practice all the time and what you realize is when you have that many good guys everybody can be successful and you can be happy. You can, you can have a great race and be happy for somebody else's great race. And so both times that I got third at NCAAs, my, one of my teammates won and I was ecstatic, you know, did I want to win? Sure. And so you just made me think of that because I had to learn that, you know, it was, you couldn't be successful with the egos there and the talent there. You couldn't, if you couldn't be happy for people. Now, if, if Eric Jenkins, Edward Chesedark wins the 5k and I was supposed to get third and I get, 13th place, I'm pissed and it could come off as jealousy, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm pissed because I, I didn't have my race. But when I got third, both times I was ecstatic. And you know what? I, I thought it was badass that my teammates won and I went third and I didn't always feel that way. And I think a lot of people aren't on crate, like aren't at a program like that, where they have to understand that everyone's so talented that you have to like, everyone's going to have their day and you can't always be the one. So, and just be happy for them.
0: I think a a good rule of thumb for, for anyone who's hating on you, whether it's you or a listener today is, uh, I love this quote that was, I think going semi viral on, on social media from Tom Holland, you know, famous actor, Spider-Man in present day. And, um, he said, if you have a problem with me, uh, call me. And if you don't have my number, you shouldn't have a problem with me. And I think it it sums it up perfectly. Like
1: there's a Drake line. There's a, there's a Drake line. That's even, it's almost like even better. It says, um blah, blah, blah. And then he goes like, well, I got a response for all your comments. Fuck what you think. That's why you leave a message. Cause I'm too busy or something like that. It's awesome. So, but honestly, I don't care they, you know, if, no press is bad pass. Like I have a great life. Um, you know, like I said, maybe 10 years ago, it'd mean a lot. It would be a lot harder, but I, I grew up a lot in the last three years. I have a great life. I have tons of friends, you know, I have a beautiful, thoughtful, smart girlfriend, you know, things are good. Things are good. I got a funny, he's right here. I got a really funny French bulldog. So, you know, Life is good Running's just running Yeah, running's just running, man I'm grateful to still be doing it And uh, I do think I have a few cool performances still left Right,
0: totally And I'm excited to, to see those go down I, I do think with all of this You'll experience this when you one day retire from running And get into a separate venture Whether it's like <laughs> a podcast like me or, or whatever it might be Like you will and maybe you'll disagree with this because I'm sure there are some some haters in this category but like you'll I, there's another saying that like you'll never find a hater who's doing better than you like at,
1: at a certain level oh that's crazy
0: yeah it's like for me all of my podcast friends who that's are better really than cool. me will only uplift me will only give me advice the only people who talk crap to me are people who have never even touched a microphone or a computer or you yeah know.
1: it's just all insecurity man and it's just like I, I'm just like, honestly, like, I just, like I said, I went through a lot in my personal life and, you know, I just learned, like, I just don't really judge people anymore. Like, sure. Do I have a thought? Do I have like a thought? Oh, like, oh wow. Like that person, whatever, or, like a negative thought. But then overall, I'm just like, it's just one, it's not worth it. And it's just like, yeah, just be kind. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. And you know, I, you'll never regret being kind. Now you may be like, ah, I, you know, I've, I've been really kind of this person over and over again. And it's, you know, they've kind of they've they've abused it or made me sad so you kind of move on but but you'll never regret being kind to somebody like it's just the way to be you know
0: it's like i said to you you know you'll forget what people said to you but uh you'll never forget how they made you feel and it's the same thing yeah. in in response yeah. to how to treat people like treat people in a way in which when they leave the conversation with you they will log off or you know put down the phone or walk away from the conversation in a better mood, in a better state, feeling uplifted and better. And I just think that's a a policy that people should live by of like, yeah, uplift others. And um, yeah, just like if someone is truly chasing after something and going all in on something, regardless of what it is, they should be praised for it, at least for having the courage to go all in on it. And in my experience, I think that the quote unquote haters are the ones who were too insecure or too scared to go all in. They see someone who's going all in. They see someone who was doing the very thing that they should have done, but they were too scared to do. And then they project yeah. what they didn't do onto that person.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I like what you said. Projecting's a lot of it, um, you know. But I don't know they're going through some stuff, and it, it, you know they're unhappy, and you know I, it, it's sad. Like honestly, it's just sad. Um, and you, you, you just didn't. I didn't pick up on all that stuff before, but it's just so obvious now. But yeah, hopefully, you know, things go better for people like that. But um, yeah, anyways, whatever.
0: (laughs) Let's talk about College Parker and his transition to the pro world. Take me through that transition.
1: Oh, man, that was crazy. Um, Well, like I said, it was hard to imagine going pro because we had so many superstars. It was just like, is there enough contracts? Have I stood out enough? And it was pretty frustrating, honestly, man. Um, I, I was really appreciative of those guys. We won championships. But I signed at the University of Oregon my junior year in, like, September. Like, and I signed for a smaller scholarship than I would have liked to, but all these promises were made to me, which is, you know, and they came through with, with their promises. But I felt like I poured my heart and soul into the program. And there was a lot of years they weren't doing shit. Like, they were bad. And I was still making NCAAs with my buddy Trevor Dunbar. Um, it was kind of in between like Matthew Sensuitz was running amazing, um, Mac Fleet was running well, Luke Biskedra, but there wasn't enough people, and there was this down period where just like Trevor and I were making stuff, and then all of a sudden everything changed, and so it was hard and it was frustrating because, like I said, at the University of Oregon, the lights were on you more than they should be in a, in a positive way, like if i did something decent it was talked about and if i did something great it was really talked about where other people at other schools you know they just weren't being appreciated as much but what so you know you kind of like took the less scholarship to get those connections and get that um spotlight at oregon because you're like uh, you know you're the top guy or the top runner at oregon so then they let all these people transfer in for one year and they got to graduate as University of Oregon runners, and I'm like, what the what the hell? Like, where were they when I was like, I, you know, I was running 10k, 5k, Pac-12 doubles as a fr- true freshman, 10k, 5k, as a true freshman. So, anyways, it was tough. So, yeah, not hating, it was just tough to imagine how to go pro because there was, everyone was so good and they all stood out. And yeah, you know, I um, this was this was kind of nuts. I was I was always the guy that would run fast in college, but then I would get to NCAA's and I wouldn't perform well. Um, It wasn't always like a nightmare. There was some nightmare ones, but it was just like I'd feel flat, get eighth place, feel flat, get 10th place. It just like I didn't understand why I never could feel solid on the day. And so what happened in the last two years was I never PR'd, but I changed my whole mindset to, to once again being very insane. I said, I don't care about anything this whole season. I've made NCAAs multiple times and I've failed every time. The only thing that will make this season a success i don't care if i run thirteen twenty, i don't care if i win pack 12s the only thing i care about is getting it done at ncw because it was starting to become a pattern of not being clutch and i'm a clutch person and I, I i did not like that so i wanted to change that and so it was funny um my coach at the time told me you know you're not getting it done man you you, you like I, I'm not going to keep investing in you that much. I mean, it was, it's D1 athletics, dude. They said some crazy, they said a lot of crazy stuff that I won't go into, but could be another podcast
0: said, after hours. Yeah.
1: He basically just said, you're, you're wasting my time and I'm tired of it. And there was going to be consequences. And, you know, he's speaking in like all this, like, oh, what's the word? Vague shit. And I'm just like, oh, okay, dude. Then tell me what it's going to take. Tell me right now. What, it, what is it going to take for you to, you know, shut the fuck up about this? And he goes, you need to get third. You need to get top three at an NCAA championship, and the next season it was at altitude in Albuquerque. I was in dead last at second place, so I was in 16th to, uh, second mile. I was in dead last at two miles. My teammates stopped cheering for me and stuff, not because they're you know bad people, it was just you know kind of sad. Um, <laughs> and uh, but everyone out really fast. They ran. It was at altitude. It was 5,000 feet, and the altitude runners were really cocky, so they went out really fast. Bro, I went from 16th to third. The only people that beat me were Lowey Lalane, who was try, who was the man. And it was Edward Cheserk's freshman year. And he maybe his best year. And um, but Lowey was still untouchable then. And I'm actually I think I finished like two seconds behind Lowey. I closed like a train at altitude, um, and got third. Uh, exactly what I was told to do. And then uh I did it again the next year and a different teammate won, but uh I was closer. I, I, I kinda won third junior year and then Senior, I lost to third, if that makes sense. Like I was in the race and then got third. The other one, I I wasn't in the front race. But it was insane, dude. I only had uh, indoors my fifth year. So after Outdoors finished, I had all cross country and all indoors to think about. I have to finish on a high note here or I'm not going to go professional. And so I had the whole time to think I have to get third again. Nothing. I have to get at least third. And um, yeah, so I got third again. And then I hadn't even finished finals. I wasn't even graduated yet. And, uh, I signed with the, with Sockney, um, immediately. I didn't entertain any other offers. Ben True was a hero of mine. Molly huddle was, and still is Molly huddle was a superstar. And I saw, and I was, I said, I'm going to sign with Ray Flynn because, um, he's Molly huddles agent. And so he's going to get me the best deal because, um, they're going to believe in him because they believe in Molly huddle and they're also not going to piss him off because Molly huddles a lot of money. So if they give me a bad deal you know, he's not going to like, you know, it's just, it's just bargaining power. So I did that. And signed so I was talking out the gates. I've been with them ever since, um, two surgeries, um, a lot of other problems I'm with them through 2024. So it'll be nine and a half years. And, uh, with the way I'm running, I think I can get another contract at this point. I wouldn't have said that a year ago, but with the, with the way the last year has gone, if I continue this path, I think I got a shot to, um, to keep it going. Keep the ball so, rolling. Yeah. Speaking yeah,
0: yeah. of your relationship with Saucony, it's something that I think, you know, when I was watching those YouTube videos as a kid, you could tell your deep love for the brand and just repping them. And it's something that I think has made you marketable to, to use a term that you used earlier, is that you're down to earth. So when you're promoting issue, you know, people know it's the real deal. With Saucony and within the sport of running, and I understand there are all sorts of problems with companies and contracts and all the details we don't need to get into. I see a lot of runners hop from company to company you know, et cetera, et cetera. For you, what does it mean to, to be with the same company your whole professional running career up to this point and see the iteration and the progress within it?
1: Totally. It's um, up there with like becoming an Olympian. It's my dream. Um, I, it's going to be really hard. It's tough. Like, so if, if I'm not running well and Saucony doesn't re-sign me, then it's great. It's going to be easy. It's like, you know, that's just it. I, I was a Saucony athlete my whole career, a, a franchise athlete, whatever that means. That's my dream. That's what I want. Um, cause I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I do not want that. I do not want to go out ki- like kind of washed and now running for a different company for like a year and a half, two years. I'm going to do everything in my power to not do that. And it's not I don't, I'm not judging or criticizing everybody. It's just a dream and goal of mine. So I really, really want to sign with Sockini again. Like the only other scenario is like if I'm on fire and I'm running really well and I, I can't get a deal from them that's, that's going to be really hard. I don't know what I'm going to do because I could be, that could be a lot of money. Um, And also just, I love to do it. Um, And it keeps me from having to get a real job for another, you know, four years. So it's tough, man. I I don't know. I I hope I don't have to make the decision. I hope I'm either just running shitty or I'm running so well that Saucony wants to give me another contract for four years. And if they give me another contract for four years, I I don't think I'm going to run after 36, no matter what, like, if I'm running really well and they, and someone came along with a lot of money, I guess I would. But I want to be good at something else at some point in my life. And I honestly, I'll always love the running world and be a little involved or whatever. But I don't, I could regret saying this, but I don't really want to do anything in the running world. I want to do something different. I want to be successful at something else. I want to make relationships with people that like me for me and know me based on how I treat you and how you treat me not because of what I can do for you or because of what I've done. Cause I've spent my whole life like that, you know? And like, and like, I'm not, I'm not like a, a superstar, whatever, but it's just, I was good when I was 10 years old. And so I've always been the runner kid, you know, and people have treated me differently from that. And I just, I don't know. I don't want to be in, I don't want to be in the running world really anymore. I don't want it to be my identity anymore. I want to do something else.
0: You mentioned a minute ago, the, the surgeries that have happened in your career thus far. Can you take me through some of the lower moments of your career and journey and how you kind of dealt with them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll try to move through these fast. Cause I I definitely been, there's a, there's a, so much we can talk about and I've, uh, I'm talking a little bit too long some stuff. So yeah, the first one was, um, I ran 2754 immediately out of college. Um, it was pretty good back then. It was the Olympic standard and I lost Peyton Jordan against pros by like 13 seconds. Um, so it was, it was good. Um, I don't know how to explain how fast people are running now. Everyone says the shoes. I don't know. It doesn't seem like that's going to enough to explain it. So anyways, back then it was really good. I think I was ranked like, I was like one of five guys, I think that had the standard for the trials, which was pretty cool. It was like, I have a shot. Um, And then, yeah, I got, uh, I got Achilles surgery. I sat, it was at Hayward Field. I sat in the trials watching the 10K um, and I was still, wasn't even running. I missed six months because I didn't rupture it. It was very frustrating. My lows were very frustrating with my surgeries because they're both very strange injuries that you had to keep trying different things and failing, trying different things and failing before surgery was your last straw. So that's what happened with that one. Super depressing. Thought I would lose my contract too because it took so long. I was on a short contract and it took so long. I I couldn't run for six months. And then it takes six months to even get back into shape. And then fast forward to my next big low. So yeah, I broke the American record and the 25K ran 210 and honestly did, I was under-trained when I ran 210 because um, I had been over-trained with Brad Hudson. So I was under-training and just kind of trying to take advantage of of all the miles I had done. And I had a great day when I ran 210. It was not that. I felt amazing. But it just seemed like it was a glass-half-full kind of performance. It seemed like, oh, wow, like there's definitely some things we can do. So did those two things, came off Chicago great um, started my new training block for the Olympic trials. And yeah, my knee just hurt super bad one day. And, uh, I was really, I was already in really good shape. I I hadn't had to reach for any fitness. I was already in great shape. My knee hurt really bad. It was over right over Christmas. So I couldn't get a hold of anybody. Um, I'm very persistent. So I get in to see doctors, like literally the same, I get MRI sometimes the same day. If something bothers me, I'm kind of OCD. So it was really tough. Um, it was two months out of the trials and I couldn't figure it was so painful and no one could help me. So it got worse. It got worse. And then I eventually I ran through it so much and did so many weird things that I eventually broke my other foot because oh. my stride was, was so, I looked like a wounded deer. You, you would almost like, cause you know, people like my stride. It's nice looking, whatever you would almost cry. Like you'd be like, Oh my God. Like it's, it's really sad actually. And I, and, uh, so, I broke my foot because of that. So, the real reason I dropped out of the trials, um, I did reference my knee because that was really the, the main thing. But I could have run the trials with my knee. I, I had all this tape and painkillers that I had set up. But I broke my foot, and so I couldn't run anymore. So, that was a big low. It's huge. And then during that same time, um, I went through some personal stuff, and it was like it was made really public, and I was dealing with mental health problems that I didn't quite understand. And that was the biggest low. And then COVID happened. So, I mean, there was just everything. I mean, it was like – it was a really crazy time in my life. I feel really grateful to be here. You know, I was going through a lot, and you didn't have a lot of support because you couldn't see people. You couldn't do anything. It was a scary time. So, yeah, I got on medication. That helped me a lot. It was really hard to figure out what the the right cocktail for a long time. So that was also pretty sad. I was kind of like – kind of a zombie, you know, because it was – it worked cause it was trying to keep all my negative thoughts from happening, which did work. But I also couldn't like pro- like, I couldn't process much thoughts at all. Like I couldn't follow through. So, um, you know, if we, I, I couldn't even like, I would sit there and just be like, yeah, it was tough. And I was would, like, wouldn't know what else to say. Like I couldn't process things. So that was sad. I guess the positive thing is Saucony stuck through me for both of those without hesitation, which was unbelievable. Almost makes me cry. And when I broke the American record, they made a cake. They did a surprise party for me and it was after my Achilles surgery and it stuck with me through a new contract. And I, that's basically what I said. I just like it, it's unbelievable in this sport to get to break this record and be celebrated with somebody that stuck with me when I, you know, couldn't even run. And um, that's how I feel about Sockney. They did it again with my knee surgery. Yeah. You know, they don't sponsor a lot of people, but the people they do, they they really love and they really care for and They're good for the sport to, To quote Ollie (laughs) Horr,
0: I love it. I love it. A little coffee club reference there. How, in your opinion, how unforgiving is the sport of running?
1: Oh man, Uh, I actually talk about this all the time. It's there's nothing like it. Let's bring up Let's Run again. You know, you're going to get bashed on Let's Run if you are not the best version of yourself every race, and that is so impossible. And it's so crazy to think about when you think of other sports. Tom Brady. Lionel Messi, whatever, dude, they can show up and be 90% someday. Like they, they can totally, totally have a bad day and still win a Super Bowl. And people are like, they're the man, you know? And it's like, it, if I show up 90% at Chicago, oh my God. I mean, it's, it's going to go horrible. And so it, it's, so it's the most unforgiving. You're, you're the only one out. No one can save you. You, your coach can be out there. You can be in the best shoes, the best coach. He's cheering you on every mantra. It doesn't matter. Like, you can have everything that you need. And if you don't get it done, it's on you. There's nothing like it. And, and, and not only that, half the time when you're in the best shape of your life, you race like crap because you overdid it. It, it, there's, it is so unforgiving. But I think that's why I love it because it's all on you, you know? And there's so much pride when you, when you do well. And I think that's why people get addicted to it. You know, your four hour marathoners, three thirty marathoners, you accomplished so much because it's you. Like no one no one else helped a sub four hour marathoner do it. You know, they did every step. And I think that's hard and it's cruel at some times, but I think that's also why people love it.
0: Parker, can you speak to the individual listening right now, of which I'm sure there are hundreds listening who are maybe on the fence? about going all in. Can you speak to that aspect and subject that you just said there where it's on you and, and speak to the listener about how far this sport or any ende- endeavor for that matter can take you if you truly devote your time and energy to it?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm the right person to talk about because like once again, um, you know, I, I have some bipolar tendencies. To me, that's living life, you know? Life wasn't isn't meant to be lived in between the lines like and i, I don't i'm not i don't want to make somebody feel bad that does that but to me that's just my opinion so i to go all in on something is is no question you know like it, it, then fi- find something else if that if running isn't it then find something do whatever it is doesn't matter but like going all in on something is the best thing you can ever do if it's if it's a relationship if it's your family but find it just find what it is because that to me is what living is life wasn't meant to be lived in between the lines and Doing a bunch of things medi- mediocrely, mediocrity, whatever. You're meant to do something great. Everybody is, honestly. And I know that's like America, like everyone's special. But truly, like, it, I mean, everyone doesn't can't be president or whatever, but they can do something pretty awesome.
0: What would you say to to this saying that I've been chewing on in relation to what we were just talking about? Everyone wants to be great until it's time to do what greatness requires.
1: <laughs> that's a good one. Um, yeah, it's pretty true. Uh, we think about that a lot with roots running. We have, um, we do these back to back weekends. It's pretty, it's the hardest thing we do. I'll do something like a really, it's peak marathon training. I'll do something like four. My record is like 42 miles in 24 hours and it's high quality, but I don't run that much. I don't run a lot of my weekly mileage. It's just, I, I do really big days. So it'll be something like a really intense, specific, uh, marathon pace workout. And then, and then a double, So you're like at 20 ish, you get 19, 21, whatever day one. But then we come back the second day and we'll run moderate for like, um, two hours and 25 minutes, just time on feet. And, um, so it's a depletion run because you're so just destroyed from the workout the day before in the double. Now you have to run time on feet, um, for two hours and 25 minutes. And what I was getting at with your phrase, I love it because I tell people that all the time. And this is what I say to people. And it's really true because it gets so much harder. I go, anybody can make it to two hours. Like you get to two hours, you, that's the barrier to entry if you want to run a good marathon in, with that workout before. You have to get to 225, 220, 215. That's where all the growth happens. When you go from two hours to 225, how much harder it gets. It is crazy, dude. It literally feels harder than finishing a marathon for some reason. I don't know why. And I tell people that all the time. And I tell myself that I'm like, oh, you're at 210. Like you think, like, you think you're the man. You think this means you're ready for your race? Hell no. Like. Anyone can do this. So it's the same thing like um, as what you're saying. A lot of workouts, I think people don't realize, coaches know this, a lot of workouts is getting you to the point of that and then you finishing the damn thing. And so if you just get to that point and you don't finish it, I'm not going to say it was a waste of your time, but you kind of missed the assignment. Like if you do a bunch of threshold work and you don't close a K in 230 and you're trying to win, a 10k national championship and you struggle, you kind of miss the point. Like the temple work is the maintenance crap. It was to get you tired to see what you could do. So yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I think everyone wants to be great. And then when you got to really do what it takes, you know, when you got, I've done some doubles at nine ten PM at night, because I was so busy doing other things like, um, and it kind of in a different life, not in the same life now, but, um, it was, uh, it's crazy, man. It's it, we're all crazy. You know, they're all one percenters. Everyone's nuts at this level. So,
0: as I'm talking to you here, these quotes just keep coming up in my brain, Parker. As you get to know me, uh, you'll understand I'm a big quotes guy. Uh, so, and because yeah. of your philosophical background and upbringing, I think with our conversation, it's just naturally coming up. So, got your opinion on that one? As you were talking, another one came into my head. I want your opinion on this one. This is this quote that I absolutely love. Probably one of my favorite quotes of the year so far. I think it's absolutely true. The saying is, you don't become confident by shouting affirmations at yourself in the mirror. You become confident by having a stack of undeniable proof that you are who you say you are. Outwork your self doubt.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a, I don't know what to say about it. It's, it's really intense. Um, Actions speak louder than words. Walk the walk. Don't talk the talk. 100%. Yeah, no, I mean, I see that. I I see that in my marathon builds a lot, actually. I've been, I've actually been racing, I think the best I've ever raced in the last year but it's been interesting because the builds don't get me wrong. There's some pretty like sexy workouts in there. There's a lot of just like mediocre stuff and it makes me, but, but it's like, but I keep showing up to quote Des Linden. Like I, I'm always showing up in those workouts, even when I'm not having my day. And so when you look at out on the build, you just feel prepared. Cause you're like, Oh man, like if I have a good day, I'm on fire. But you're also just like, yeah, but I got it done a lot when it sucked. And like, so the marathon is going to suck at some point in the race. And it's like, I I think I, yeah, you're like, you believe in your heart that you're going to be ready for those tough moments. And if you, you're kind of right to me, because when you say shout affirmations, it sounds like hype, 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 whatever. It reminds me of builds that have gone incredible. And I've just been, nothing can stop me. I've never had to work hard, really. Those races don't usually go that well. They don't really give you all the, the, the toolkit skills you need. Now, if you have that great day on the race day, then you're good to go. But it's a little bit unrealistic so to me i'm connecting with the words of affirmation as kind of like having sexy workouts all the time and then the hard work is just being like well hey i showed up when i really didn't want to and i think that that you can grow more on those days than getting some really sweet um splits on your watch so shout out coros global uh pace three today great watch Gr- great watch pace three <laughs>
0: yeah dropping the day dropping the day uh, or at least announced today, I think it drops in a few weeks, so, uh, they don't sponsor me, but fantastic yeah, brand. Yeah. So support them if you're looking for a new watch, uh, Parker, you mentioned 2019, a few times you were on fire, uh, as with many things in life, when you're on top, inevitably you got to come back down to earth. The next yeah. few years <laughs> are really, really tough for you. Can you take me through these years and specifically something that most people don't know, which is you almost stepped away from the sport?
1: Yeah. So the knee surgery was eight months. So I already missed the trials, but the, the silver lining of the trials was just like, it's okay. There's still places for me to, to have my day. But I never got better. I took off all this time. I never got better. I got, kept getting MRIs. My knee kept getting worse. So I was really hard to overcome because I, I, I thought at least I could start working towards a goal again after the trials at some point. You know, just like put my heart into anything. But I never got running back. I didn't get it back until um, September. I got surgery in July. And so I never got it back. So while people were in COVID and all this kind of stuff, dude, I didn't have anything, man. I didn't have anything going for me. Um, I think a lot of people would struggle losing running for eight months regardless. But then I couldn't like dive into other stuff. I don't remember a lot of during that time. I think my brain kind of like protects me from it. I, I really don't know what to say. I don't know how um, – the time passed very slowly and very fast. So then I got surgery um, and it sort of worked, but it took about two years. I got probably 12 to 13 doctor's appointments where I either had to get fluid removed from my knee or cortisone injections, or um, um, they would go into the needle with saline solution and break up scar tissue. After freaking surgery, dude, I had probably twelve appointments to because my knee still wasn't working throughout the next two years. So fast-forwarding to why to quit the sport, let's just say I went through some other really, I went through some some other health issues that were pretty scary. Um, And I'm great now, but just another thing. And my knee still wasn't better. And I was training well again, but I was racing like crap. And every day I was going out, I was in pain. So I was flying back from another race, and I was just like. I'm not having fun. And if I'm not having fun, that's okay. But I better be running some pretty cool performances then. But I wasn't racing. Well, I wasn't running well. I wasn't enjoying the day to day. And I was like, why am I doing this for? I was like, I didn't ever, t-, you know, be, we've kept saying this so many times and I feel a little annoying, but I never thought I would set some American record. I r- finally ran a cool marathon that I was close to not doing. I was like, what, what, when is it going to be good enough? You know? And there's, um, there's the Christian Bale quote from Batman. And it says, uh, I want to get it right. It's like. You either die a hero, we're just a quote, we're quote machines. I know. I love it. You either it. die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. And it's just like, that's how it goes. It's like, it's like you said, like you either, you either end with kind of on top or running solid and you're still with your great brand or you just go for too many years and you're either unsponsored or you sign for a year and a half with some other brand, you know, I was really worried about that happening and I wasn't having fun. So I was flying back from this race, man. And I, and I wrote a whole, I have it in my phone, this huge retirement thing, but it was really interesting. It, it kind of got out of the way. It was like very to the point and why I was retiring and very, I would, I guess like cold or something. But then what happened was I kind of wanted to think running and I think I thought about it and it was hard. It was very hard to do. Cause you know, an Instagram can post can't be forever. So I had to be very critical with what I wanted to say. And while I was writing that I realized how much I loved running and how much I wasn't ready to let it go. And so being able to write that retirement to me and I can read it, whatever I want made me want it so bad again. And I, my journey wasn't done because Dominic, I I had come back and run some good performances, but I hadn't overcome the knee yet because I hadn't run a damn good marathon again. And I wanted to show everyone that, you know everyone like they ever i can't even imagine what people said like i thought i was done everyone thought i was done everyone had you know some some negative thing to say because it'd been three years two or three years and uh, i oh i ran 221 at boston um when i came back so i ran horrible my first marathon back so i hadn't finished what i wanted to start and i really wanted to run another good i wanted to run a good marathon and uh yeah um then he finally started to figure itself out somehow after two and a half years um, I don't know what. And uh I have a lot of people to thank for that. And then yeah, I think um it's been doing the damn thing, dude. I uh I ran two twelve at grandma's and um I I there was some problems, so I got barely any calories there. Um whatever. I still ran two twelve like we said, you know, no excuse. But I um I definitely ran that not with not the right um execution. So that was a really cool step. I was a little frustrated because I think I was ready to have a really special day, but whatever did that. And I was like, okay, cool. I I did a good one, but I still wanted more. It wasn't, it wasn't a home run. I I want that undeniable success. And then, yeah. And then it it came at Houston. Um, It was unbelievable. Uh, I got fourth place. I was with the leaders um, until 24 and a half in my home, my home uh, state on TV. Um, The guys I lost to had run 206. 208 and 60 flat and a half marathon. So I only ran 212, um, again, but you know, that's undeniable. I beat, I beat guys that had run two eight, like Japanese runners, whatever. Um, it's an undeniable performance. And it was so incredible because I ran 45, 40, 452 pace all by myself. I was a uh, 50 seconds back from these guys to go catch them and to have the skill set and strength and, execution and confidence to do that is something i've never had before when i ran 210 at chicago i was with 15 people we had a rabbit everything was handed to me every little step was just the easiest step you could ever take in your life so to me that's cool it's a good time but to race how i did is like that's a that's a guy who knows how to race every step of a marathon it's completely different and so yeah i i don't feel like i have anything to prove anymore and i'm in such a good spot like i'm talked about as maybe somebody on a crazy day that could make the team, but no one actually thinks I can or cares, really. I can, and that's the best. That I'll call it. I eat. believe in you. No, it's just, but it's fun. It's just fun, you know. It's like it's a win-win. I, it's nothing to. It's, it's just fun, man. And if somehow I finish this off as an Olympian, I'll probably lose my contract because I'll be on TV and I'll say the craziest stuff, dude. I'm gonna be like, <laughs> I'm, gonna be, I'm gonna be like, uh, who, uh fu- the boxer. I'm missing his name, but it's like, I want to apologize to absolutely no one. Um, McGregor, gonna, I stop. Don't give me the mic if I make the Olympics, dude. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be an asshole. So,
0: what do you want to check off before you hang up the, hang up the road racing shoes? Or are you content right now and you're just having fun? with I it? no,
1: no, I'm not. I, uh, I want another contract from Saucony. I really do. I want to do this until I'm 36. Um, like we, with everything that I've been through, to be running again at this high level. I think I'm a proven, I've proved that I'm a proven product because when you, when you have success and you're good, but you haven't been through anything, that's, that's awesome. It's like, I hope, I hope you never do, but I think it shows that I'm very investable because I've come back from so much stuff that, you know, that I'm going to find a way to get it done. Um, and now, and I feel confident that, so another fast forward, I got fifth at Ottawa, only ran two thirteen, a little bit tough course, really hot, but dude, if you look at it, this is undeniable objective stats. I beat a 206 guy. I beat eleven Japanese runners that had run from 208 to 210. And the guys that won were 205 guys. I mean, times are cool, man, but like times are crazy nowadays. Like they don't really mean as much. Like and people can say I ran two thirteen, ran two twelve, but fourth and fifth at those races, they're good ass results. And I beat really good people. And so I feel like I deserve um another contract. And a year ago, I actually I felt undeserving of my contract. So it's changed a lot in the last year. So what I want, I want to, I would, I want to make the Olympics. That's the dream. But what do I actually want? Like that's a little more that I can control and whatever is I want to keep doing this. I want to be, I want to finish with Saucony and I want to be an over a decade Saucony athlete. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what motivates me right now. It means so much to me to stay with that family and, uh, I don't know. I think i have good races, man. I just don't want them to, I, I think they would miss out on some good races if we don't, if we don't make it happen. So.
0: A few final questions for you, Parker, what does it take to be great at the sport of running?
1: Um, you got to be honest with yourself. So actually, I think that's the main reason why I'm still good. Um, it's hard to be honest with yourself with real life. And I've struggled with that, but with running, I guess this is true with real life too, but I found this out at a really early age because it's so on you. It, oh, if you cheat yourself, if you cheat, you cheat yourself, whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, but it's true. Like, if if you don't run well and you blame a coach, you blame the training, you blame this, you blame that. And sometimes that's true. You know, sometimes things aren't working for you, whatever. But if you're really honest with yourself and you ask the tough questions. Dude, I got 240th out of 244th at NCAAs one time. And then the next season I ran 1330 in the 5K. And That's because I was, I I dug deep and it wasn't like, I didn't blame other people, didn't whatever. And I think being honest and hard on myself, and I'm hard on my teammates and not everyone likes that, but I I try to tell them, one, if I didn't care about you, I wouldn't be hard on you because I would just be nice. But two, I'm not saying anything to you that I wouldn't say to myself. And, you know, maybe people don't want to hear that, it's fine, but um, I do it because, that's what made me last in the sport, and that's what's made me great is just I don't sugarcoat things, and I, I just don't want to make the same mistake twice. you know, if I choked or I did something wrong, and my coaches say, "Hey, you're a head case, that's okay. I'm a head case right now, but I don't want to be a head case a year from now. How about that? So right now I got a problem, and I'm not getting it done well let's let's fix that. so you own it. But if you never agree and you're like, oh yeah, I kind of was, I guess whatever, you're never going to solve the problem. Like you'll have some good races still, but you you gotta, you gotta get it, you know, you gotta bite it in the butt. So.
0: What is a final takeaway message you want to leave with our audience today who listened all the way through this, listen to our, our quotes, your story, your history, the ups, yeah. the downs, everything in between. What is one final takeaway message you want them to leave with?
1: Yeah, I think I liked what you're talking about. I think just commit to something in your life, man. I think, uh, being passionate is everything. You know, your whole life will change if you're passionate about somebody. You will you will be happier. You will people will be drawn to you and you will make friends. You will be you will get things that you want. You will be the person that you want to be when you're passionate about somebody. Because yes, there's haters that don't like that, but then there's also people like, that's what I want. I want to be around that person. That person is living the right way. So I think find something that you're passionate about, doesn't matter what it is. And just go for it. And you know, you're going to fall short a lot of times, but that's kind of part of it too. It's life. You know, it's, it, it's just life, you know? And I, I, you look back and I think it kind of reminds me of like being kind. Like, I don't think you're going to look back and ever like be bummed that you went for something, you know, you'll probably be bummed you didn't get it or whatever, but maybe not eventually. But I think it, a lot of the stuff's cliche, but I think most people would say like they regret not trying something instead of uh, failing at something, you know? You learn a lot from failing at things. You really do. Like we were talking offline, it's like you—you you should watch your bad races because you'll see that you actually did a lot of things really well, and maybe there's not as much that you had to fix as you thought. Like we're all pretty good. We all try our best. You know, there's a lot of things you probably did right. So,
0: excellence is the pursuit of it, and you just got to go after it. And that in and of itself is excellent.
1: Well, I love that. So I'll leave it at this: perfection is not a static state. You will always chase perfection. Because if somehow you were perfect on one day, it's not perfect the next day. It, it it's just not. So there's no static state of perfection. It, it's always moving, and it's it's the curse of ambition. You will do great things, but you'll never be satisfied. It's insatiable. It's uh, I mean, you the, the real people that have ambition, unbelievable. It's 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 crazy to see. You know these billionaires and this whatever. And yeah, it's crazy. They're you know they're divorced three or four times. They 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 struggle with this. They struggle with that. And it's like. Because they're they're so gifted and so whatever, but there's there's cons to there's just negatives to everything and it's a cur- it's a curse. So um, yeah,
0: that's I mean sure. this is a whole nother podcast for another time, but that's why it's yeah, in my point important to try to approach things from a sustainable way where you can you know
1: totally have a
0: healthy life, but also you know go all in on something and you know not have other parts of your life sacrificed. And um, yeah, we got to wrap this up because I could just talk to you all day. And this is what we're continuing uh, yeah, to do. But yeah. uh, someone said this to me, and I, I do think it's true on a podcast. They said, you know, the best of the best got really, really good at one thing by sacrificing everything else. And the question for yourself That's is...
1: Intense. That's intense.
0: Yeah. But I do think it's true. The question is like, you know, is that price worth it for you? And that that answer should be different for every single person.
1: I like that. And it's it should. It's there, everyone has there's a point of diminishing returns. Everyone has what they want and you got to respect that. And if that's, if they got what they wanted, then you know, it's different than what you want. Right. So.
0: right. Parker, we'll chop it up again soon. I'm going to wrap this up. Uh, really appreciate yeah, you yeah. And your time here today. One final question for you. The question I ask every single guest on every single episode. If you had the man, the myth, the legend, Gordon Ramsey coming over to your house for dinner, what would you choose to make for him?
1: <laughs> well, would I choose, well, I can only make one thing and it would be like a ribeye steak, really thin asparagus. So they get crispy And then some mashed potatoes. That's the only thing I would, I mean, anything else would just be like, yeah, that's all I got. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. But hey, you got to come out to Boulder so we don't, so I can uh, talk your ear off and (laughs) make you do another podcast. We'll we'll get some runs in
0: an in-person podcast. We'll do it. Parker, appreciate you, man. All you're doing, the inspiration you are. Keep, keep crushing. Keep crushing.
1: Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the podcast. I don't take your time for granted, so I hope that it brought you some wisdom and value that you can apply directly into your running and into your life. If you have not already done so, please consider giving us a follow and a five-star review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And then something all of you guys can do is share today's episode or the podcast in general with a friend or someone who you think will benefit from it. One more note, if you're not already following us on Instagram, consider doing so. My Instagram tag is at The Running Effect. I hope you're running and life is going well. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy life to listen to today's episode. I will catch you in two days when the next episode drops. Until then, happy running.